Welcome to the Solarize podcast from creator, founder, and author Spencer Burke, where we have candid conversations with spiritual innovators, visionaries, change makers, creatives from the edge. These are the people that serve as our scouts and outlooks. The voice is calling for a more humane future, one we desire and are working toward. Both the beauty of New Horizons and the difficulties of taking risks will pepper all of our interviews. Welcome to the Solarize podcast. I am so excited to be joined by pastor and therapist and just all around good guy, Justin Meyer, who I just met at the Solarize conference. And here's the thing. I feel like what you talk about and what you stand for is something that often gets ignored. So Justin, just give us maybe a 40,000 foot view on who Justin Meyer is and a little bit of how you do pastoring different. Well, who I am is a person who cares deeply about helping people become who they were created to be. and. I think a roadblock that many people suffer from in that is trauma. And so whether it is trauma in the form of ACEs, also known as adverse childhood experiences, or trauma that they're impacted with every day, it causes disruptions in the brain and it causes us to not think in our most logical format. If you, you just want to put it that way in the, in the logical format. So utilizing our frontal lobe and that prevention causes all kinds of problems. In fact, we just heard a speaker here at solar eyes who was talking about the effects that ultimately trauma has on adolescents and teenagers being in the juvenile justice system and, you know, preventing them from living full lives because instead of living a full life, they're behind bars. And so I just work really hard on both in faith communities and in the secular world in the everyday lives of regular people who may not be attached to a faith community to help people overcome trauma. And where where did your interest in this come from? Is this something, were you that little kid who was going to be a therapist for as long back as you can remember? Or was there an event in your life that led you to this place where you're at now? Actually, I used to be a jerk. And, uh, <laughs> Join the and, club. and uh, I used to be a fundamentalist uh, and in the worst sense, probably caused quite a bit of trauma in my early years. And so this is my way. In fact, it's, it's really interesting. The first time I heard about uh, trauma-informed care, I thought it was horse crap. I, re- I really mm. did. I thought it was worthless. I, I thought it was touchy-feely science. I thought it was giving people gold stars just for doing what was expected of them out of life and, you know, not, not excelling or like, why are we going to celebrate normal? But it's important to celebrate healthy and normal because if we don't, then people don't don't function that way and and so i had some traumatic experiences in my life and kind of wrestled with these ideas and got involved one way or another i think it was divine but in mental health work and slowly transitioned and so that that's how i ended up i didn't ever expect to uh, be a therapist i'm working on my psych d now and so uh a 
a clinical psychologist. It was, was not ever in the cards, did I think, but I just see so much hurt in the world that both can be prevented, but also needs to be overcome. And so I got to do my part and I want to help others engage in those conversations and learn the simple things to do their part. They don't have to go get a master's degree or do PhD or psych D work to help people. There are simple things that everyday regular people can do to help people overcome trauma. And honestly, I think if faith communities don't get on the right side of trauma-informed care and resilience building in the next 20 to 30 years, those groups will be obsolete. They really will. They will have no place in our culture or our societies. And right now, I think there's this wrestling match. I was uh, talking with one of my colleagues, and I said, you know, I, I think there's three categories right now. There are those churches that will embrace trauma-informed care and resilience building, those who will make fun of it and become or stay toxic, and then there are those that are just going to stand back and do nothing and see a lot of people hurt in the world. So. Yeah, yes. Oh, I'm so excited we're having this conversation. This is really close to my heart for a number of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into a lot of what you were just mentioning. So we're going to get there. But before we get there, let's jump back a little bit and define what we're talking about when we talk about trauma. I had this incredible conversation with my 18-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. We were talking about trauma. Mm -hmm. And she said, Dad, it doesn't matter if a baby drowns in a foot of water or a hundred feet of water, the baby still dies. And then she said, trauma is trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think for when I think about my own life, Justin, I think about some of the things that I went through that I never was willing to identify as trauma. Because as a person that's worked with some people have gone through severe trauma. I worked in a prison system for a while. I worked with homeless people for a while. So when I was thinking of trauma, I was thinking like that. And so when I thought about some of the things that I went through, I kind of just, I would, I don't know what the right word was, but I wouldn't, I wasn't willing to put that label on it. Mm -hmm. Now, after working with a therapist, after walking through it a little bit further, I can definitely put the label of trauma on some of the things that I've went through. And so, since I've got you here, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think there's probably a lot of people like me in this world, what would you define as trauma and what are we talking about here? Okay, so I'm going to kind of give you a, a functioning definition that we use in the field. Perfect. It is the response to a disturbing event that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope, causes feelings of helplessness, diminishes their sense of self, and their abil ability to fill a full range of emotions and experiences. So traumatic experience can honestly be uh, an argument with a spouse or a coworker or a boss, but that demeans you and makes you feel less or makes you feel threatened. Oftentimes, uh, we can define a traumatic experience in a person by an increased heartbeat, sweating, you know, nervousness, shaking, jitters. But ultimately, what a traumatic experience does is moves you from processing information in your frontal lobe, and it moves it further and further back in the brain till it gets to the area of the amygdala, where you you have your responses of fight, flight, and freeze. Right, and while it is great to have that adrenaline rush from your amygdala uh, dealing with fight, flight, and freeze. If a bus is coming at you or a bear is chasing you, mm -hmm. uh, 
if you're just trying to have a conversation with someone, processing from that point of view uh, becomes very risky. And living life continually from that point of view is very unhealthy. You know, we, we talk about people who are wound really tight or people who are living on the edge. I would say generally those are people who are processing information from the, the viewpoint of their amygdala. But we talked about arguments. I mean, car wrecks can be uh, traumatic experiences. Getting a speeding ticket can be a traumatic experience. People being bullied on social media can be a traumatic experience, right? It, it's all about that definition of do you lose who you are and your ability to feel and to cope? Do you feel helpless in a situation? Yeah, thank you. That's super helpful. And, and I think, again, whether it's really severe, significant scenarios or something that to some of us feels minor, at the end of the day, however you respond to it is what matters the most, I think, and, and in some ways defines how it will affect us as well. You shared earlier today that you're more of a sensitive person. That, that yeah. you feel other people's feelings, I, you connect. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I was never really willing to admit that mm -hmm. for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And finally, when I was struggling through some trauma of my own, I was, for the first time, just within the last couple of years, able to admit, yeah, I'm a really sensitive soul. Mm -hmm. That's why trauma tends to stick to me a little mm -hmm. bit more, even though I don't like to admit that either. Right. Well... I believe that there are other people like you, and especially there are some children that might be like you, right? Mm -hmm. And so we as parents can cause trauma with our children who are more sensitive. I have one like that, and I, I caused some trauma in his life, Eli Hezekiah Meyer, uh, <laughs> uh, by, by telling him to suck it up. Like, sure. suck it up, dude. You're being wimpy. Like, you know, yeah, people are going to make fun of you. Get over it. But he was... He, he's super sensitive. Not yeah. all children are, but he, and so not only was the bullying he received traumatic, but I became an enforcer of that trauma, right? Yeah. By denying his emotional state at that moment and even assaulting him with words to make him feel less. And so sometimes we as parents don't understand or coworkers or even employers understand that we might be reinforcing trauma in someone's life when we are dealing with a soul that's more sensitive and there's nothing wrong. Let's get that out there too. There's nothing wrong with people being more sensitive. That that's a gift from the divine. We need people like that in our society and in our culture. Yeah, thank you for that. All right, let's get into the, the concept here that I think is creates a lot of stickiness. Okay. When we talk about our faith communities, yeah. so many times people who are struggling with trauma or mental illness in general, mm -hmm. that is put to the side and what is brought forward is your not doing enough of whatever the spiritual thing is that you should be doing, <laughs> yeah. or we need to just pray for you or whatever, you know, fill in the blank based on your <laughs> own tradition. Yeah. And I think part of it is honestly just a lack of education for our leaders in churches, but we are seeing fallout from this in pretty large scope right now of people who are experiencing trauma from their faith communities because whatever they were going through was not legitimized mm -hmm. or was not seen as important enough, or they were just given an answer that wasn't 
wasn't help like mm-hmm. praying enough for somebody dealing with anxiety yeah. not all that helpful yeah you can't pray away anxiety or depression yourself and someone can't pray for you enough for those things to be alleviated right right uh but i will tell you i've heard that said many times right well you just you're not praying enough or you're not in the scripture enough or you're not going to church enough and so like we (laughs) we we really manipulate people on Mm -hmm. some level right to try to get them to do what we want and then we blame whatever is going wrong in their lives that they're not doing what we want them to do enough it's really toxic in the area of faith spirituality and in my in my faith tradition which is christianity Mm -hmm. uh it happens a lot. It really does. And so, yeah, we, we definitely have to change our minds about mindfulness. We have to change our minds about trauma-informed care. We have to change our minds about building resilience. Because I believe faith communities of of every genre, you know, and not just Christianity, but, but my friends who are Muslims and my friends who are Baha'i and my friends who are Hindu... Uh, even even my Buddhist friends, they they have this idea of community, and I believe healing happens best and most in community. But if our communities are toxic, then we cause greater problems. So we we need to start learning. We need to start wrestling with these ideas and not just deny them on the fact because maybe it's not something we've understood in the past or we didn't have enough science to back it up in the past. I'll tell you, you look at a brain that has not experienced much trauma and a brain that has experienced trauma, you can see the difference on a brain scan. Interesting. And a lot of people's holy scriptures for for me it's the bible what's interesting is is there's a whole lot in scripture that points to the benefit of mental health and the steps that we can take to actually help heal brains that have suffered trauma things like gratitude things like meditation things like expressing our emotions in community and not being discredited for our feelings it's interesting in in my tradition if we look at the scriptures we can see people like the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel and even uh, King David experiencing trauma and dealing with depression in their lives and the different ways that scripture encouraged them to overcome it and it wasn't go pray or go worship at the temple more or you know it it was through expression of emotion and feeling and uh, practicing the art of gratitude meditating those different things that actually help them dig out of their darkness the solarize podcast is brought to you today by our partners at the igniting imagination podcast Igniting Imagination is a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. They believe every moment for change starts with conversation. They hope the conversations in these episodes might invite you into new perspectives and possibilities, inspire you with an idea, give you insight about your next faithful step, and further equip you to engage in the conversations in your context that can lead to deep change. This season, they are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. 
For more information, visit their website at www.wesleyaninvestive.org forward slash igniting dash imagination dash podcast. You'd mentioned the idea that healing comes best in the context of community. Mm-hmm. We also have to be aware that hurt can come the worst in the context of mm-hmm. community as well, because, and that's why the way that we practice our faith in group settings is mm-hmm. vital and that we really need to think through this idea of trauma-informed care within that context, because if we don't do that, we can actually just keep heaping more trauma and more hurt on the people that are attending a community, wanting more wholeness, want a connection, wanting mm-hmm. a connection to, to the divine, and then we're actually seeing people leaving feeling damaged and hurt, and you know needing even more so to see a counselor because more trauma has been heaped on top of trauma. Yeah. Well, and we were we were discussing in my my solar eyes talk a couple days ago and uh, my associate pastor Sean Steele uh, who helped do a lot of the research for for our presentation but you know he talked about spiritual trauma being some of the worst mm. and especially spiritual trauma coming from clergy people because whether it's true or not people view clergy as almost the mouthpiece of God, right? right? And so their behavior is justified because of their connection to God. And so if I spiritually abuse someone as a pastor, not only is it me spiritually abusing them, but it's God spiritually Mm. abusing them and that they should suffer through this and, you know, deal with it because this is something that God wants them to go through which that's toxic faith that's toxic spirituality and so you have this heaped on and and on top of it you have a person who has a lot of trust right the mm-hmm. the people in my faith community in my church they trust me and so if i abuse them it is a trusted person abuse, abusing them and if that trust is even broken it's even more painful and so yes spiritual abuse spiritual trauma has to be on the foremost thoughts of faith community leaders minds interesting i would say one of the best things that happened to me as a young person that Mm -hmm. was interested in faith Mm -hmm. is my i grew up catholic my Mm -hmm. priest actually it was found out that he became an alcoholic and he had to leave our community to go to rehab Mm -hmm. and the reason i say that was a good thing for me is because Mm -hmm. that was the moment when i realized oh yeah my priest is a human being he's not Mm -hmm. some sort of god character Mm -hmm. and that helped to inform my mind moving forward that i wouldn't i never was at that place where i would put a spiritual leader up on some sort of pedestal as if they're the mouthpiece Mm -hmm. of god God, because as a boy, I got to see that my priest was just very, very human, just like my dad, just like myself, just like everybody else. And that was really helpful. So that's one thing that we can do each individually is Mm -hmm. make sure that we're not putting people, especially spiritual leaders, up on any sort of pedestal, because that will just deepen that hurt that we could experience Mm -hmm. from them. Now, you are this gutsy pastor who is doing something that I personally have never heard of before. You are creating and developing and planting, you have planted a church on the foundation of being a trauma-informed community, I guess is the best way to say it. So share a little bit about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Yeah. So I, I, I want to say, one, we 
definitely are trauma informed and I want more people to look at the idea of becoming a trauma informed faith community. But I would like to say we're doing something too that I think is the progression hopefully of trauma informed churches in the next five or 10 years, but that's also being a resilience building church. Mm. Like I think it's important to be informed, but not just understanding that people have trauma and deal with pain, but then helping them overcome trauma and pain is just as important. I think maybe even more vital than just understanding, which is a great first step, but you have to become active in the healing process too. And so we do different things to to help in the area of being trauma-informed and resilience building. So the first thing, and I would like to say it's the simplest thing, but some Sundays and some Bible studies and some board meetings, it's the hardest thing. But we take time every time we gather to do a mindfulness moment. And we have specific mindfulness techniques to help fire serotonin and dopamine in people's brains to help them move from processing information with their amygdala and moving it to the frontal lobe. And so literally every time we gather, as a community, uh, whether it's two or three, whether like if it's for dinner, whatever it is, we make time to do a mindfulness or a meditative moment to help center us so that we can process what each other are saying more clearly so we can process what we're hearing from God more clearly so we can process the information that we might be reading more clearly, but so that it's not coming from a place of fear or or combativeness, but coming from a place of, of processing and logic and understanding. So what can, what can an exercise like that look like? Just so we have a little bit more concrete idea of what you're talking yeah, about. So, uh, we will, it, it, it's directed. So someone stands up the front, not just me. We have different people in our congregation, uh, who are trained to do this and they will stand up and we'll start some uh, frequency music. And then we'll, we'll say things like, do, do me a favor and close your eyes. If you feel comfortable, please close your eyes and take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and begin to relax. And then we ask people, we say, you know, picture the person in the world who loves you most at this moment in time. Picture them and now try to experience internally what their love feels like. So for some people, that's a warm feeling. For other people, it feels like electricity. For other people, it feels like goosebumps. But even now, try to experience that love. And we're quiet for a moment. And then we say, and think that the creator of the universe, the divine source of everything loves you even more than that. So when we do that exercise, what we are doing is connecting with the hippocampus to fire serotonin in their brain. So we always fire serotonin first, not because it's some magical formula or I have medical advice to do so, but that's, that's what we focus on. Usually 
people oftentimes are dealing with uh, depression or anxiety. And so firing serotonin is a good way to help bring them calm and peace. Uh, the next thing we do then is uh, an example would be it's not we don't do these two things every time word for word. We have different exercises, but then we we focus on firing dopamine. And one of the ways we do that is we say, uh, what is something that you're looking forward to in the next week, in the next couple of weeks, in the next month? What is something that you're excited about, that you're hopeful for, that you're looking forward to? How's it going to feel when you're experiencing that? Take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. What's it going to feel like when you have completed that event, that task, that opportunity? Try to feel that internally right now. Do you feel the excitement? Let, let yourself feel excitement. Do you feel the safety in that moment? Do you feel the happiness? Feel the joy. And take a deep breath in through your nose. Out through your mouth. And open your eyes. And so it's, it's just simple things like that. It, it takes us about seven minutes. Okay. We, we try to keep it in that time frame. Sometimes it goes a little longer. Sometimes it's a little shorter, but we also focus on things like gratitude and breathing exercises and, you know, diff, different ways to help people engage in, in mental health recovery and overcoming trauma by firing different uh, hormone baths in our brain, stimulating the hippocampus. It's, it's really science. It is. And you know, the scripture from our tradition talks about things like inspiring joy and, and rejoicing, which means to practice joy over and over, which is actually a form of gratitude, right? Being thankful or giving praise in our tradition. In the New Testament, we hear from the Apostle Paul to uh, meditate on things that are good and right and lovely and truthful. And uh, so those are the things we do is we, we meditate on those things. And because I believe God created us, he, he knew what to tell us to do to stimulate us to overcome trauma, to overcome hurt, to overcome pain, because he understands we live in a broken and unperfect world. And so uh, I believe God is a God of healing in all faith traditions, and I believe we are to be people of healing. And so to kind of re-embrace that identity of being healers in faith traditions, we need to access healing in one of the greatest epidemics facing our communities today, which is trauma and adverse childhood experiences. You know, as we move forward mm -hmm. and we become more aware of this, science becomes, you know, more available. I'll, mm -hmm. I guess I'll say more people in faith communities, I think, are wanting to talk about mm -hmm. this. What would you see moving forward if the world worked out how Justin wanted it to? What yeah. would you see in faith communities moving forward in this idea of trauma-informed faith communities? So right now we're trying to put together a board of uh, trauma-informed resilience building faith communities to so to actually help people become certified in this, to, to have the practices available, and not just a 
a system where we give you some tools and leave you alone, but where there's real interaction, there's real accountability, right? Because we all have some bad habits that might cause trauma for people. And so how to overcome those habits and then how to start building resilience and making sure we stay on top of it, that it really is a central part of who we are as faith communities. So we're working on that. Uh, We have a network right now. We're getting ready to launch a couple more trauma-informed faith communities. Uh, We're called the the Emmaus uh, Church Planting Network. And so uh, we are planting new faith communities that truly are trauma-based. And then we're trying to connect with those congregations right now, even, even though the network isn't complete or forming, we believe in doing the hard work first, which is if there is any faith community, and you don't have to be a Christian faith community, we want to help them engage in this discussion and talk and give them whatever resources we can, because my goal is, is that not just here in the United States, but around the world, uh, faith communities do become trauma-informed and resilience building, so people truly can heal and become who they were truly made to be. Well, I think that sounds amazing. That sounds like a great goal, something great that we should be moving towards. And so thank you for all of your work. Thank you for being a bit of a pioneer in this space, I would say. And how can people get a hold of you or find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, uh, the best way to connect with us is www.rethinkfaith.org, which is actually our church's website right now. We're getting ready to launch some other websites. You can also find me at www.yourhealingpathways.net. And I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, but not super active. You can find me on Facebook. Honestly, if you send us an email, justin.patrick.meyer at gmail.com, I would love to Zoom with you or talk, FaceTime, but whatever we can do to help get you on the road of becoming trauma-informed and resilience building. So good. Well, thanks for being a part of Solarize. Thank you for your work here at the conference this year, and thanks so much for being a part of this show. Well, I appreciate everything you you do uh, as we work towards a more humane spirituality. Make sure you support the Solarize podcast by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating, and write a review.